Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 178. I'm Art Regner, and as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. We do ask that you drink our premium Canadian beer responsibly, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall. As you know, what better way to cap off your hard day of work Pounding that pavement with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue, it really hits the spot. With that said, let's get into episode 178. I have a quick uh, announcement to make. I know um, when I interviewed uh, the Grand Rapids Griffins players, we're going to talk to Ben Simon in the next episode. Uh, Our schedules just haven't met up, but Ben will be on in a... uh, future episode very, very soon, the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins, as we uh, get his take on everything that has happened this year. Kind of a transition year for Grand Rapids, but uh, uh, we will talk to Ben very, very soon. And uh, with that said, again, let's get into the uh, uh, Red and White Authority, episode 178. And one of the original hosts of the Red and White Authority is joining me, and I think you all know who that is. It's Hockey Hall of Fame writer Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey Now. We hope to be joined by his colleague, uh, Bob Duff, will hopefully join us sometime during the podcast as we talk uh, Red Wings and training camp. And uh, uh, let's bring in uh, Kevin. Kevin, our uh, training camp, pardon me, the trade deadline. Gosh, <laughs> training camp. Whoa. Uh, 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 I guess we could. We could speculate who's going to be in camp next year, I guess. But uh, that's really looking into the future. Let's bring Kevin in. Hey, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, but you know that's really what the trade deadline is sort of about. I I think you know you start your makeover for next season at the trade deadline, at least if you're in a rebuilding team. Yeah, that's uh, you know I agree with you there. Uh, uh, you know I I wanted to begin, and I mean hopefully Bob will be able to join us. Trade deadline day used to be like Christmas. And I know you were at USA Today, so you were covering it on a complete national scene. But when I mean like Christmas, we would all go to local media, would go to Joe Louis Arena, and we would sit in the media lounge and just wait for the Red Wings to make deal after deal after deal. Not only were the Red Wings doing it, a lot of teams were doing that. But I can remember one time Scotty Bowman calling us into the uh, Red Wing uh, dressing room, into the room, and he was almost skipping. He was so happy to announce that they had acquired Larry Murphy from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'll never forget, we were all like, okay, great. Because, you know, Murphy had had fallen on some hard times there uh, in Toronto. And... uh, and everybody goes, okay, and, and, you know, what's the, what, what else? And he looks at us like, Murph's going to help us. And, of course, he did. But, you know, I mean, it used to be such a exciting day. Where do you think the trade deadline, is it still Christmas Day? Or has that switched to, which usually is July 1st, the day of free agency? Um, I, I think the trade deadline is still uh, Christmas morning for all the contenders. And I think it's gotten a little more complicated because of the salary cap and particularly in the, the flat cap era that we're now in where um, there are so many teams that are pushed up against the ceiling that it's hard to make uh, moves. But, you know, if you look around the landscape, uh, you know, most of the teams that we think of as uh, teams that really have a shot they're going to do something uh, by Monday. And, you know, they've already started. It's a little slower ramping up than it usually is. But, you know, real early on, Daryl Sutter said to his GM, I need more scoring. And they got Tyler Toffoli. And, of course, uh, our good uh, friend Pat Verbeek uh, is already acting in Anaheim, realizing that he's not going to sign Josh Manson. He's moved him to Colorado. And Colorado is one of those teams that I'm talking about that, you know, they've been uh, the Vegas odds favorite since uh, August to win the Stanley Cup, and they're acting like it. They've gone out and got Josh Manson, um, and uh, they got Nico Sturm from Minnesota, who's a little bit bigger center and good on faceoffs. And they're not done. Like, they're in the thick of it for Claude Giroux. Uh, so we're going to have some big deals, and I think we're going to see Ben Sherratt will, will move. I think we could see Hampus Lindholm move, uh, another big de- defenseman as well uh the ducks could move uh you know raquel so there's going to be some some bigger names move and then uh, the detroit red wings here i think will also move uh, a few players they've got eight potential ufas and i see two or three of those players uh moving 
in that group. Well, let's welcome in uh, Kevin's colleague at Detroit Hockey now, longtime hockey writer, hockey historian, author of many books like Kevin as well about the uh, sport of hockey. Bob Duff joins us. Bob, uh, thanks for uh, doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, welcome, Art. Anytime I can help you out, I'm always here for you. Well, good. Well, you know, we've all been friends for a long time. And uh, uh, let me start with, uh, uh, I wanted the audience to know that we are uh, recording this podcast on March 16th, uh, right around 3 o'clock in the afternoon or so. So certainly by Monday, a lot of deals will come down. Kevin speculated a little bit. uh, But, uh, uh, Bob, let me uh, kind of re-ask the question that Kevin just answered. Uh, I can remember the days where trade deadline day was like Christmas morning for a lot of us who cover the sport. Do you still think it has that same impact? I think people like to believe it does, but the reality is uh, it doesn't. I mean, the salary cap pretty much changed the way the trade deadline works, and it generally changed the way trading works. Now, you you rarely see a straight hockey trade anymore. It's always somebody unloading cap space or somebody who has the ability to take on cap space making a move, you know, and obviously teams are dealing from different places and that always was the case you know obviously building rebuilding teams like the Red Wings are going to be looking at the trade deadline differently than a team like uh, the Boston Bruins or Toronto Maple Leafs that think they have a shot to win the Stanley Cup but I think the parameters have certainly changed because you know you've only got so much space and it's even worse this year because so many teams are butting right up against the cap. Kevin, I, I know you've already answered it. Would you like to add anything that Bob has uh, that just uh, talked about? <clears throat> no, I mean I think he summed it up, uh, you know, pretty nicely. Yeah, I, I actually, Bob, th- thank Kevin you're here because Kevin and I can go off on tangents. So uh, uh, <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, <laughs> glad to. It's a it's a good Canadian. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I I'm not sure exactly what the proper word I'm thinking for, but gets right to the point and just says it. And, you know, not pontificating like I can certainly do forever. But with Spoiling that, the party, I think you call that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, okay. That sounds good. But uh, uh, I, I want to get into something because uh, once Frank Cervelli, uh, uh, Cervelli from uh, uh, Daily Faceoff now, but he's been a longtime journalist, uh, uh, well-known in the hockey world too, uh, uh, tweeted that Steve Eiserman essentially has let teams know that He's open for business, and if your name isn't Raymond or Cider, everybody is up for trade. That, of course, has uh, caused maybe a, a bit of a panic, Or and the name that he threw out there was Tyler Bertuzzi. And I want to get your gentleman's thoughts on, uh, do you think that Bertuzzi is in play, or could this be a deal, if it is done, could be made more in the offseason, not by Monday of next week? Um, well, I'll start out. I, you know, I, I think it's possible that, the, you know, they would consider trade offers, but I don't think it's going to get done here at the deadline if there was going to be a trade. I think that's the kind of trade you make, you know, in the off season when everybody's rosters uh, are more wide open, you're less constrained by the, uh, by the, the salary cap. And I, I think the only way, the reason they would consider that is, is, um, you know, number one, I, you know, I think they were unhappy with him and, and his decision not to be vaccinated. And, you know, he's not available uh, for these uh, uh, games in Canada. But more importantly, even, you know, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this contract, and he only has one year left after this season. And, you know, every team has to deal with those type situations, and you've got to make some hard decisions. So I'm sure if Steve is... Uh, uh, considering trading him, uh, you know, this would be a good time to do it because you'd get full value for him, and, you know, his uh, value has never been higher. So I, I, I would guess, like any good general manager, he's just going to listen uh, uh, to see what's available out there for him, and if it makes sense for him, uh, you know, he'll jump on it. But, I, you know, I don't think they're out there shopping him around. I think it's just the, the circumstances they're in, and they're just letting everyone know, if you want to make an offer, we'll listen. Yeah, I think it's a lot like last year. I mean, I don't think any of us would have projected the Anthony Mantha trade. And I don't think anybody in hockey would have projected that trade coming down. But, you know, I would think if 
Steve got an offer like that for Bertuzzi, he'd certainly strongly consider it, if not take it. Well, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that too. I mean, I, as I said, I know that people have, uh, have, uh, you know, kind of freaked out about it, but, but I would imagine in Steve Eiserman's position that if you were going to move a, a current top player, shall we say, I would imagine that uh, Bertuzzi is the guy that you could get the most for. I don't think there's any question of that. You know, maybe Larkin as well, but uh, uh, Bertuzzi gives you that extra element of snarl. Um, you know, he's always at the head of the line when uh, trouble breaks out. And uh, uh, although, although Dylan has been kind of spunky this year too, but uh, uh, you know, you know how Bertuzzi is, and he's always in the middle of it all. And uh, um, you know, he's had uh, uh, he's having a great season. Uh, you know, he's a little bit cold right now, but uh, overall he's been, a, you know, a, a, a terrific player this season. And, um, you know, the best time to trade someone is, is when, you know, they're peaking, and he's certainly in that now. And, uh, um, you know, you, you, you could probably get, any, you know, a lot for him. Uh, and I, I think that's uh, one of the things they'd have to consider and why I think, you know, it's, it's plausible. I like... I, I, I don't think that it's a certainty, not even close, that they're going to do that. But, um, you know, they have to think ahead. As I said, uh, you got to look at where his contract's going to be and, uh, um, you know, what to, how he fits on the team. And, you know, it's not an easy trade to make. I, if you're starting to look at next season, you're telling yourself, well, you know, you've got Raymond, you've got Bertuzzi, you've got Verana. Uh, you got Fabre. You got four wingers um, who are, in your mind, perhaps twenty-goal uh, scorers, and uh, you know that's the makings of a pretty good start for a hockey team. So it's not a, a, a trade you make lightly, but uh, it is one that I think you know. One thing about Steve, we know he's aggressive, he's bold. Um, you know, he thinks uh, uh, ahead. Uh, you know, the, some some people are playing checkers, and Steve's playing three-dimensional chess. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta, you gotta stay up with them. Yeah, I think Steve would love to hear that line. Three-dimensional chess sounds pretty uh, pretty impressive. Uh, Bob, uh, your thoughts on Bertuzzi, and I, and I want to ask you, because this isn't the first time we've heard that Bertuzzi could be available or the Red Wings might trade him. I think well over a year ago, and the team that we always hear that has seems to have the most interest, although most of these rumors are emanating from this city, is Toronto, is the Maple Leafs. Uh, where do you kind of fall in on this whole Bertuzzi uh uh, should they trade him? Will they trade him? And is it possibly the Leafs have the uh, uh, really, for whatever whatever reasons, Brendan's really into Tyler? Yeah, and I've also heard the L.A. Kings mentioned a lot in connection with uh, Bertuzzi. And, you know, you look at an L.A., they've got a boatload of young, talented players that, you know, might intrigue Steve in a deal. I think Kevin's right, though. I think this is just... Steve being a good general manager, like you think the last year, did any of us see the Anthony Mantha trade coming? I don't think anybody in hockey saw that trade coming. But he got an offer, you know, as the godfather would say, an offer he couldn't refuse. And uh, I think if he gets that kind of offer for Bertuzzi, he'd move him. But, you know, the odds of that happening two years in a row are pretty slim. But the other thing that struck me about that story is the other name that wasn't mentioned Dylan Larkin. How can Dylan Larkin not be an untouchable Red Wing? I would have thought that was a given, but you know, all the only names we heard as untouchable in that story were Raymond and Cider. So I, I found that kind of intriguing. I, I did too, but I guess I look at it from this aspect. You know, Steve went on record with Valley Sports a couple of weeks ago, saying that we are extremely, we're still far away from being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. We still have a ways to go. I wish I could say differently, but we do. I'm sort of paraphrasing him here. And I thought at that time, if you look at the age of a Larkin or of a Bertuzzi, when he thinks that they might have finally ascended up the pecking order in the NHL into the hierarchy again, into the elite level, that Larkin and Bertuzzi could, and I know this is young, especially as each birthday passes for me, but, uh, but they could be 30 years old. And at that point, are they really central parts of the team? Or do you get them, do you move them 
uh, Bertuzzi, Larkin, guys, you know, maybe even a Fabry, somebody right around there where uh, you bring in, you know, the maybe the missing link, the, the, the pieces. I mean, I, I kind of go, you know, back and forth in my head. I mean, heck, we were around when, you know, supposedly uh, Steve was going to be traded to Ottawa for Stan Netcash, you know, if you guys remember that one. So, I mean, it's it, it it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't, it, it almost makes sense if, they still think they're a year a few years away that you would take maybe some of your guys who are not old by any stretch of the imagination but could be older when this team is ready to compete i don't know if you guys agree with that uh kevin why don't you start well i mean it's a very valid point Uh, i mean the real nucleus of this team even though we look at it and we see dylan larkin and bertuzzi you know it's kind of the head of the class but you know, it, it might be uh, Lucas Raymond and Sider and Soderbloom, Elmer Soderbloom, and some of these younger players that uh, haven't arrived yet, um, you know, might be the group that we end up seeing as the nucleus of the team that Steve Eiserman built. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe he's already thinking ahead, uh, as we talked before, and, um, you know, looking at this in, in, in that way. Um, you know, it hasn't come... I think, you know, you start this rebuild out and you tell yourself, well, it's going to be five seasons or longer because that's how long it takes. And, but secretly you're thinking, yeah, but maybe I can do it in three. I, I, I think that's the way it always goes when you're rebuilding. And I think, you know, we're here now. We've seen three drafts, and Steve has hit it out of the park, but he's not anywhere near close enough. And I think, you know, he looks at that, and as you said, then he starts to project, okay, if it's going to take three more years uh, and now all of a sudden all these guys that, you know, were in their prime are now um, starting, uh, you know, the back nine. And uh, you got to make some decisions. So, you know, that, that, that does make some sense. And, uh, you know, you can start to, you know, move these guys. And, you know, you can get a huge return from people like, uh, you know, Larkin and Tyler Batuzzi. And, you know, there are a few others like that as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Because one thing I, I'm pretty convinced of, is that the roster we see now isn't even going to look like the roster we see next season. I, I, I feel strongly that there'll be significant changes, particularly I think the, uh, the defense will be completely rebuilt. Um, you know, I expect to see Edmondson here. Uh, I expect that Steve will go out and get a, uh, you know, what I would call a middle-aged defenseman, someone in his mid-20s uh, that has uh, some experience. And uh, I think he's going to rebuild the forward group as well. I think, you know... The, the greatest disappointment, I think, in the organization is the lack of consistency, and I think Steve's going to address that. And the only way to address it is to change the personnel. Yeah, certainly. Bob? Well, and, and the other factor, I think, in that, too, is people have to remember that, you know, Cider and Raymond are the exception to the rule. In general, most rookies are going to take a while to find their footing in the NHL and even first-round picks. I mean, you look at Guys like Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen and Philip Zadina, they're still trying to basically figure out who they are as NHLers. And they're in, you know, their third season of pro. And, you know, that's the way it normally goes. There's not an instant trajectory to stardom like we're seeing with Raymond and Sider, not very often. And, you know, if you get that once in a decade. Hey, I saw an interesting stat the other day. If the numbers hold, the Wings currently have the most points from rookies of any NHL team. It'll be the first time in 31 years that the Wings have led in that category. So that just shows you how rare it is that you really hit it out of the park with rookies instantly. And, you know, Simon Edmondson and Wallander and Soderbloom, you know, we we suppose they're all going to play here, but, you know, they may not all come in and be instant successes. And, you know, that's just going to be all, again, put the rebuild into a little slower mode too, because you've got to wait for the future to be ready to be the present. And, you know, it isn't always uh, ready when you want it to be. Well, you know, you bring up a great point. And, and I do think that, and I think this season could be, uh, just look at this season. I think we all became, as a fan base, Red Wing fan base, became intoxicated because of the emergence of Cider and Rabin, who I think you could argue have been the two most consistent Red Wings all season long. And because of that, everyone's thinking, well, the rebuild now has been accelerated, yet the team has been stumbling 
especially the last nine games or so, that maybe it's now time to take a step back and look at the reality of the situation. And again, not to sound, uh, you know, bring this up again, but when Steve said, hey, we're not even close, when Steve says something, he just doesn't talk to talk. I mean, I listened to it, and now I'm beginning to think that, okay, uh, you have Cider and Raymond, but now the expectation level should not be, and Bob, you just alluded to it, that, Every rookie that they bring in from here on out is suddenly going to be these two guys because that just doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious based on on, on that, uh, uh, on Bob, what you just said, uh, do you think that this team, uh, that the Red Wings then at the trade deadline, uh, which is uh, on Monday, uh, will be the 21st at 3 o'clock, uh, that they will make a lot of moves or no moves, because I think that in, in the beginning, I think people thought, well, they're a little bit ahead of the curve now. They're, you know, Steve might stay pat. He might move a couple pieces, but it's not going to be – they're not in seller mode. I'm not saying that they're in seller mode now, but it sounds like, especially with what Cervelli wrote, that maybe Steve has re, is rethinking this, and maybe they are in seller mode. I, I know that's a long and, you know, I'm going – I'm rambling here, but – uh, you know what, what? What do you guys think? Do you do you think that uh, his philosophy might have changed in the last couple of weeks? How he's going to attro- uh, uh, approach the trade deadline? Well, I think it has for sure. Uh, I mean, I don't think you could uh, not watch this team over the last two weeks when they've given up, uh, you know, essentially six goals per game, and not think, um, you know, we're not quite where. It's- uh, I'd hoped we would be. We're not quite where uh, we, I need us to be, and uh, I think because of that, you know, things suddenly are on the table. Like we've seen uh, Puse uh, Suter drop from second line center to fourth line center, and um, I think they look at him and say, "Hey, he's a good hockey player. Um, you know, he can play in this league. He can score a little bit, but maybe he's not what we need." on the second line. That's my sense anyway from watching what's kind of happened uh, to him. And I think they're starting to wonder. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're essentially uh, at the same place we were uh, when Joe Valeno was drafted. We know he's going to play in the league, which they said even when he was drafted, he, you know, we can skate, uh, you know, he's going to be able to contribute, but is he going to score? Like we still don't know uh, whether he can score. And, you know, because of that, I think, uh, that's going to, you know, would they even trade someone like uh, Pew Suter at the trade deadline? I, you know, I think those possibilities are now kind of open where I would have said a month ago um, they wouldn't have done that. They would have said, well, you know, we're going to ride this out and see kind of where we are. But I, I think uh, they would be open to pretty much anything on trade deadline as long as they felt it was good for the team in the long run. Bob? I definitely would say they're sellers, but... The question is, is there going to be enough buyers out there? I mean, like we talked about earlier, how many teams are right up against the cap and don't have a lot of space to do stuff? I mean, I think Steve's going to have to be creative like he was last year with the David Savard move where, you know, you basically trade for someone's contract and pay part of their contract to make a second move with that player. You know, there's going to he's going to have to find ways to do stuff like that to make a lot of trades because it's going to be tough to move guys when there's so few teams that have the ability to bring guys in right now because of the cap and you know everybody's going to be looking for ways to make room on their roster so that's the type of thing I think you're going to see with uh, these teams like the wings that are in the position that they could absorb some salary cap I think that's can work to their advantage and you know Steve could take on a couple of contracts that are expiring contracts and you know, kind of pick up 50% of it or whatever for the rest of the year just to make a move and to help his own team and that's you know basically what he did with the Savard move last year he used that to get himself a draft pick and that's not going to move a Nick Letty or somebody like that but I I look around and I see a lot of players that teams want to move and not a lot of teams either willing or able to make a move to get those players. So I think it could really be a buyer's market on Monday because the teams with the ability to sell may have to lower their price in order to make a move. 
you know, you bring up a real interesting point, and, and I'm kind of curious. I know Steve has always said the more draft picks you have, it's like roulette. You know, the, the better chances you have of hitting on one uh, if you're, you, you know, you have several several picks. And I, I know that you know the last four drafts they have been seven drafts for Detroit. They've had so many picks. I think the current draft, which is going to be in Montreal over the summer. Uh, I think they're up to nine or ten again. Uh, do you think at this point, and I guess it all depends on the deal, I'm really asking you to, to get inside Steve's head a little bit here. Do you think that they're now looking to acquire players more than draft picks, or do you still think, depending on what the draft pick is, you're not going to turn down a number one, I know that, but do you think that he's switching maybe his thought process where, I need to start getting some players in here that I know that can play. I think I already have enough draft picks and, and take it that way. I Hopefully that, uh, again, I know I'm kind of, uh, this been kind of a stream of consciousness podcast for me today. But, uh, yeah. Kevin, why don't, you, why don't you start? Well, um, you know, I think it's always better when you get a prospect, when you can have some assessment of where he's at. You know, he's a year farther down the road or two years farther down the road. You, you know, you often see college players being dealt because they're a little bit older. Like, for example, in the Manson trade, this uh, kid, Hellison, right. uh, was moved. And, you know, the scouts have watched him now, and they have a pretty good handle on what he's going to be. And I think the Red Wings probably would be better served um, trying to get some guys. But, you know, the only problem with that is, is if they're willing to trade him, that means, uh, you know, they might see some flaws with him as well. But uh, um, I think they'll, they'll look at anything. Um, you know, the only problem with building through the draft uh, is – uh, first of all, the drafts are different from year to year. Some of them are good, some of them are not. And the percentage of players making the NHL after the second round is, is dismally low. And, and so it really is like that, like you know, you're putting all your money on uh, 22 black and hoping for the best, or in the Red Wings case, for 22 red or 19 red. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, it, you know, it's hard to, to, you know, to do it. And the, and the days where the Red Wings would find a Thomas Holmstrom late or a Datsuk, uh, you know, those days are gone. Everything, everybody's so well scouted now that, you know, everybody sees everybody. So it's harder to find the diamond in the rough. Everybody sees that. So I, I think it would, they would be better served if they could add some players that they, you know, might be just a little bit older and they've got a better handle on who they are. <coughs> So, Bob, you think Steve still let, let, I I'm still want to acquire draft picks, or do you think, as Kevin and you know, we've kind of uh, talked about here, that uh, you know he, he he might be looking more for prospects or or to actually bring in a live breathing body instead of a, just a number, that number being a draft pick number. I think he would prefer to get a guy that we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be as an NHL player than to just, you know, pick a kid out of college or junior or Europe and, you know, project what he's going to be. I think the other issue is what kind of draft picks as you, are you going to be able to get? And like Kevin says, if you're beyond the second round, your chances of making the NHL are remote. And, you know, so trading Nick Letty for a third round pick, is would it be worth it? You know, like, are you going to get somebody at that third round pick that's going to make it worth giving up a guy you know is an NHL defenseman that you could re-sign if you chose to and could keep around. You know, it comes down to, I think, what you can, what he can get in return. Like Again, you're not just going to take a body because it's a body. It's got to be somebody that you think has a realistic shot to play in the NHL. That's why you know, a team like LA does intrigue me because they're a team that looks like you know they're on the cusp of being in the playoffs. And if they decide they're going to go for it and make the playoffs, you know, they've pretty much been rated as the team with the best uh, prospect pool in hockey. So if you could pick a couple of those guys out of their team for somebody off of your team, you know, even one guy, you know, that might be worth, worth your while to make that move. Yeah. See, see uh, uh, Steve call up uh, Luke Robitaille or something and say, Hey buddy, Hey, yeah, you know, we essentially gave you a Stanley Cup in 2002. So uh, 
let's repay the favor here, you know. Uh, uh, we, we deferred salary to get you and Brett over here, so come on, man, uh, pony up. But, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't work that way, but, boy, it would be nice. Uh, yeah, L.A., uh, I mean, I, I think they're one of the surprise teams. I can't believe that they're uh, as competitive as they are. Quick has really uh, uh, kind of rejuvenated himself, and uh, certainly uh, Cal Peterson who I think was the assumption was he was going to be the number one goaltender. And obviously, uh, Jonathan Quick had something to say about that. So uh, L.A. is a pretty impressive team and really intriguing, Bob, that you would say that. Let's get into maybe specifically, and you've mentioned him a couple of times, Bob, so we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, when you look at maybe the assets that I guess conventional wisdom has said the Red Wings uh, are going to move or likely candidates to be traded, uh, uh, the first name has been Nick Letty. Uh, what do you believe is the, do you think the Red Wings will move him? Will he be moved or come like 301 on the 21st, 301 p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, Daylight Saving Time? he will be still a Red Wing. I think uh, that's a real tough call, Art. I would have said at the start of the season, almost certainly he'd be moved at the deadline, but he's not had a great season. He's not really shown the offensive numbers that I think the Wings were hoping to see from him. And, you know, is that just because he's had an off year? Is it because of the team he's playing on that spends so much time in its own end? Or is it because his game's starting to, to go on him a little. You know, like that's, if you're looking to trade for him, that's a question you've got to you hope your scouts can answer for you and, you know, and let you know whether you should take this guy. Now, they, they spent a second-round pick to get him, so in a perfect world, I'm sure they'd like to get a second-round pick back for, for him, but that may not be realistic. And then you got to decide, you know, if you're offered a third-rounder or whatever it is that you're offered for him below a second-round pick, is it worth making the move? Like, I don't think Steve's the kind of guy who's going to make a move just for the sake of making a move. He's got to think what he's getting is worth his while. No. Kevin, Letty, a Red Wing or no? Uh, <clears throat> I think they will move him. You know, in the last 24 hours, I've kind of called around, and uh, it seems like there's um, more teams looking for defensemen than we have defensemen, and I think that sort of helps uh, the Red Wings because Bob is – right on he you know Lenny has not been the defenseman they had hoped him would be but you know he does have a body of work and a, a long resume and I think uh, teams are going to look and say well you know he has been that uh, kind of transition defenseman that we all like uh, you know prior to this season and maybe it was just wasn't a good fit in Detroit um, but I don't think they're going to get a second round pick I, I'd guess that a third rounder is what um, teams are going to be willing to pay, but we'll see. I mean, all it takes is two teams to drive the price up. Right. That's 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 certainly <laughs> true. Uh, another name that I wouldn't have mentioned, uh, but he just played his 1,000th game, and against Edmonton, he had his first <laughs> two-goal game uh, of his career, but was Mark Stahl because last week, obviously, everyone was talking to him about you know, being uh, the third Stahl brother to play a thousand games in the NHL. Congratulations to their family. It is quite an accomplishment from Thunder Bay, Ontario. The uh, the Stalls, home of of course Paul Schaefer as well. Uh, but with 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 that uh, with that being said, when I look at it, he was asked because he has a no movement clause, and Steve was more. I asked Steve about this, more than willing to give it to Stahl. He said he earned it. He has kids. If you know. That's fine. But when Stahl was asked last week, he said, if Steve wants to make a move um, and brings it to me, I will I will listen. Uh, although I've told you guys I like to play here. I Do you think there's a chance that, you know, maybe if Stahl is moved, which, I, again, last week at this time, I would have told you I don't think he's going to go at all. But do you see Stahl being into play at all, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I – it's possible, but I, I don't think it's really likely. Um, you know, he does like it here, and, um, you know, I think there are enough options out there. I'm not sure they're going to get down to Mark Stahl. I mean, he is, has value because he competes real hard. He's a good leader. He's great in the dressing room. Um, and who knows? I mean, it maybe it just takes one. But, you know, right now from what I'm hearing, 
Uh, I don't think Stahl's going to move, and I think he's totally fine with that. I think he uh, likes the role he has here. And I'm not even ruling out that Red Wings would bring him back. He's good to have around. You know, right. He's a great mentor for young um, players. And, you know, he does compete really hard every time he's out there. Right. Bob, do you think Stahl uh, could be in play? <clears throat> I think Kevin's right. It's probably very unlikely unless somebody wants him specifically you know in a dream world it would be great to see him go to carolina and get it make a run for the stanley cup alongside his brother but defense certainly isn't an area of concern for the hurricane so i can't see that happening uh, the other thing that you know why bringing him back here in detroit is a good idea is something that uh jeff blashell mentioned about him the other day he's just he's a real chipper guy he just He's got an upbeat personality, and you know when you have those long stretches like they're going through right now, where guys can easily get down on themselves and really start to think the whole world's coming apart. Having a guy like that who can lighten the mood and you know knows the appropriate time to pull a prank or make a joke and to, you know to kind of get people back into a lighthearted manner. That's something that, you know, probably doesn't get measured a lot by fans. But when you work inside a dressing room and you're around those same guys every day, that's something that's really valuable. No, I, I agree with you, especially with the uh, with the influx of young defensive talent that the Red Wings seem to have and are going to be integrating into the team the next couple of seasons. Uh, uh, you know, another defenseman that has been brought up and I've thought about it and he sort of had a bit of a coming out party uh, last year at the world championship for team Canada with that beautiful assist that he had on the, uh, uh, on the gold medal game. I believe it was the last one, but <clears throat> is, do you think Troy Stetcher who's been hurt most of this year, the guy has gumption. He competes hard. He's not the biggest, but could that be maybe a dark horse candidate to be moved? Yeah, I say yes on that. Um, just because you're, there's always a need for you know seventh defensemen, guys that have just you know been around the block that you can plug them in and they can play. But uh, you know probably not a guy you're going to put immediately in your top six. And um, you know his salary and the fact that Steve can retain half of it, I think puts him in a position where I think and a lot of people saw the World Championships and he was really good there and. We didn't see much of him this year because he was injured, but uh, I think people will remember that about him in the World Championship. Big stage, he took advantage of it. He might be nice to have around as a depth guy. Bob? Yeah, I think the other thing that's attractive about Stetcher is he can uh, move the puck. You know, that's such an important part of NHL defense today is having guys who can move the puck. Now, he certainly doesn't have... Uh, the physical size, when you look at the teams that have won the Stanley Cup in recent years, it seems like every defenseman they had is 6'2 and 200 and some pounds. And he certainly doesn't fit that mold. But he can skate and he can transport the puck out of your end, and that's a vital component. So he, as Kevin said, he'd be an ideal guy. You don't want to have to play him every night if you're trying to win the Stanley Cup. But if you need a, someone to plug a hole for a couple games because of a minor injury, you know, he's a guy who certainly can do it. When you look at it, uh, maybe on the blue line, and we'll talk about a couple of forwards here, and then we'll kind of wrap, wrap wrap this up as we specifically look at the Red Wings and what uh, Steve Eiserman uh, may or may not do uh, Cub trade deadline day. I, you know, I kind of laugh myself because we say the Red Wings, and then naturally, well, what's Steve going to do? Because as I think we all know, it ends and begins with Steve. And uh, so... Uh, uh, it will be fascinating to see, but do you see any of the young young defensemen being moved, like maybe a, a, a Lindstrom or a uh, uh, you know a, a Philip Horonic or somebody like that that uh, that they you know that they they could be entertaining offers? I know Steve said they're open for business, but usually when you look at the, the blue line, you would think that the, the Red Wings would trade veteran players but do you see any of the youngsters maybe being up for grabs i i don't think so not now um like i'm not uh, saying that they wouldn't trade heronic in a hockey trade in the off season but uh, you know that's not the kind of trade you make uh, at the trade deadline at least because i think that's a more complicated trade 
that would require you know prospects and such and uh, I'm not sure you can you know get to pull that off altogether and uh, you know Lindstrom's had a rough go in the last couple of weeks but you know before then I think they saw him as part of the future solution and not a, a problem so um, you know I think he'll be back in the lineup at some point and get another chance to redeem himself he had a He's had a stretch of bad games there, but I, I don't see them wanting to move him uh, at the deadline. Bob, you see any other blue line candidates to be moved? Well, I think in Heronic's case, you know, a lot of his offensive role that he filled last season has been usurped by Cider. So I think in that sense, he could be expendable. But the other problem Kevin points out, you know, he's probably a guy that you'd want to make a hockey trade with because he is young and you know has some upside. I think mean, the other issue is he's played so poorly for much of this year that his value right now, you know, to get what he's probably actually worth could be a challenge right now. So that's the other reason why I think it would be unlikely that they would try to move him at the trade deadline because you might be, you know, giving him away for less value than you could get for him in an off-season trade. You know, moving now to the forward core, uh, there's one name that keeps cropping up in my mind, and I know that Steve drafted him when he was in Tampa, uh, and I know that Steve signed him uh, to come back to Detroit, and obviously Slava Kozlov's nephew, and that's uh, Vlad Nemetsikov. Uh, uh, but he's such a versatile guy. I would imagine if there is a forward that moves on Monday, I think a lot of teams would inquire if he's available. Do you see maybe Nemetsikov moving uh, before the trade deadline, Kevin? Yeah, I'm convinced he's going to move. Um, you know, it's his salary versus he's having a good season. He's got a reputation for being a great guy. Um, you know, he's really the hockey's version of the utility infielder. You know, he can move up and down the lines. He can kill penalties. He can pretty much play wherever you need him to play. Um, and he does everything really well like um you know i've seen him actually play in front of the net uh, i've seen him uh, work hard in the corners and, you know he's got skill um you know he uh he's not afraid uh, there's a lot to like about him and i would say this too i i would say that probably if steve does trade him he'll say make sure you come back you know in the summer when you're going to be a free agent because i i think he's good to have around um i think you know having that versatility to move and do a lot of different things is very valuable to a coach. And, you know, we've seen this year the fact he's, you know, he's got uh, 13 goals. He hasn't had any in a while. But, you know, he has had a really good season. And the, the other thing I think that teams will find attractive about him is the fact that he scores playoff-type goals. When you look at the goals he gets, most of them are right around the net. He goes into traffic. He plays in the dirty areas. He does all the grunt work that you need to do to win and you know those goals are the majority of goals in the regular season but they're pretty much every goal in the playoffs you know you don't see a, a lot of end-to-end -end rushes in the playoffs you know they, the price of space is so expensive in the playoffs that you need guys that are willing to pay that price and he's a guy that's certainly proven that he is willing to do that and on top of that you know we've seen him and you look back through his history he's been moved a couple times previously two contenders looking to make a cup run, you know, most recently a few years ago in Colorado. So I think he's a guy that, you know, uh, you know, maybe make the most logical sense of guys who will be moved on Monday because there's so much he can offer a team that's trying to win. Right, certainly. I mean, I, I, I know that a couple of fans have said, well, what's Nemetsikoff's problem is that He's been moved so many times. He got traded twice in one year. And I said, that's because he's valuable. It has nothing to do with character or, you know, he's uh, bad in the room or anything or not a good teammate. It's because he's valuable. And as both of you said, I mean, he can play uh, on all four lines. He can play power play. He can kill penalties. Uh, he can play all three forward positions. I mean, it's, uh, it is pretty amazing. I mean, versatility would be it. Uh, with that said, I'm going to give each of you a minute here. Do you think... I know we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about a Bertuzzi or even perhaps a Larkin and whether they be moved or not. Uh, uh, and, you know, certainly Steve is open to anything at this point. Uh, he'll always, he's always willing to listen. Whether he pulls the trigger or not is totally up to him. But 
with that said, do you see anything else? Are we missing somebody or maybe somebody else that we maybe should be mentioned as a potential candidate on the Red Wing roster to be moved on uh, by, by Monday? Well, I would just say that, uh, you know, don't uh, sleep on the idea that uh, Eisenman will do something uh, to help his team that's really unrelated to moving out guys for draft picks. Like, uh, you know, you never um, hear what Steve's going to do before it happens. Uh, you know, you, you know the Nick Letty trade, there was no mention of it. There were no rumors, uh, and then suddenly he got him. There were no rumors about Nadalkovich. Um, there were no rumors about Mantha. Uh, you know, he just acts and gets things done. And I think there's a possibility he'll do that here. I, I don't know what it would be, but if he finally discovers that someone is out there that he thinks uh, could help him uh, next season, I think he's going to do it. I think he wants this team to be better next season. Uh, you know, I think even though he says that the, the team isn't ready to compete and it's a long way from it, I don't think he wants to have a miserable season. So. I think if he sees a chance to improve his roster for next season, he will do that. And I almost half expect him to do that. Bob, I mean, should uh, we, I guess we shouldn't be shocked by anything that happens, especially as you've alluded to the uh, Mantha deal last year. But uh, is there maybe something that we're missing here that we should be on the lookout for by Monday? Well, the Vegas uh, Golden Knights are sinking like a rock at West, and they're having a real issue in goal because Robin Lehner's hurt, and their backup options have been just abysmal. Now, there's certainly a lot of potential backup goalies that could be in the market, but Vegas may kick the tires on Thomas Grice. You know, he hasn't had a great season, and uh, maybe they'll, you know, he could be a guy who'd be in play. I mean, as I say, you know, you know, look, there's Halak in Vancouver who's, you know, proven himself in the past in the playoffs so he might be a more attractive option than Grice but Grice has seen playoff action too with a, a pretty good Islanders team so who knows if Vegas is looking to shore up their goaltending they might come knocking and ask what uh, it'll cost to get Thomas Grice do you uh, do you guys see? I, I I know Kevin, you touched on this when we first began before Bob was able to join us. But I mean, should we expect like some of the big names or guys that have been bandied about, like a Claude Giroux, uh, Jacob Chikorin, who you know is going to be hurt for the next two to four weeks? Uh, will we see a, a lot of big names move by Monday, Bob? I'll let you start, and then Kevin, you can finish. I think it's going to be hard because of the cap situation with so many teams. Certainly a guy like Giroux is wanted by a lot of teams, but can they make the deal work? I, mean, I can see why you know, a team like a Colorado would want Giroux because he's, you know, he's proven himself over a long NHL career that he's a quality player. But you've got to make it fit into your cap, and you've got to be able, you know, if you're for Philadelphia, if you're giving up him, I mean, they're probably going to give him up anyway because he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. But... At, it's hard to get value when uh, you know when you're up against the cap and the other team knows it and they're not gonna just give you whatever you want when they know that uh, you have to move that guy or he's gonna probably be leaving next year anyway. Kev? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think so. I mean, we have so many teams that I think really believe they can win the Cup. And, you know, you look at a team like the New York Rangers, and Chesterkin has really been the best goalie in the league by a country mile. And uh, I think they feel like they have a chance. So I think they're going to go big. I expect them to be in on Hampus Lindholm if he's available. And I think they're going to get a forward as well. Um, so I think they'll do a lot. I, I think it's... Uh, Giroux is down to Florida or Colorado in my mind anyway. Maybe someone will surprise me, but I think those two teams are competing for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the people that we've heard, I think they're all going to get moved. I think those ju there's just enough room to fit all those uh, top names into everyone's, but particularly with everybody willing, and I think pretty much everyone is, to retain half the salary to make it work. All right, and now I, I, I want to go back to the Red Wings and close it out this way. Um, I, I think that the Red Wings um, have had a better season than most people anticipated. Certainly the emergence of Raymond and Sider have created a lot of buzz. Uh, how would you characterize the Red Wings season thus far? Uh, Kevin, we'll begin with you. 
Well, and there were signs of improvement. You can see where this team is headed. Uh, you know, anybody who pays attention to the prospects knows there are players coming that are going to help. But, you know, it was disappointing that we, there, no, there was no level of consistency. And they weren't a able to ever, you know, kind of find that. And I think that's the, the one disappointment. Like, you know, if they could have held uh, the way they were playing, um, I think people would be more excited. But... They were so erratic and have been for a while now. Sometimes they're very good. Sometimes they're just absolutely terrible. So uh, it's been a mixed bag, but I think overall they've, they've just shown improvement. Yeah, Bob? Well, I think to me the biggest disappointment is their fall off in their defensive play. I mean, they weren't, you know, they were still in the bottom, right on the bubble to be in the bottom third of the league last year. I think they were 20th in goals against last year. And they've plummeted uh, to 30th. They, that's that's kind of baffling because right. you know usually when you make improvements like that, and you know defense is just like hard work and responsibility, and as Kevin says, consistency. You know it doesn't take immense talent; it just takes more brains really than anything else. And you know the the, the question of why it's fallen off so dramatically is one that's just puzzled me all season long when you know really they didn't make immense changes in terms of uh, the way they play the system or anything like that you know, it's not like we got a new coach or anything like that and yet everything has just gone off a cliff and it's just they now they don't seem to be able they get it figured out for a game or two and then they go right back to the way it was and you know it, it just puzzles you why they can't, you know, if, if they can figure it out for a couple games, then why can't they keep it going? Yeah, that's a, that'll be something. Hopefully, I mean, they still have, what, 21 games or so to play here that they that they can figure it out because, you know, overall, uh, and, and, and basically it's, it, it, it has been because, you know, a couple of rookies have really uh, uh, ignited the fan base. And, you know, and certainly Dylan's having a great year. Bertuzzi was having, is having a – uh, you know, a, a career year too. He's uh, you know, his next point will be his. Uh, I think tied for his highest point total uh, of the year. Now, I, I want to ask both of you, rookie of the year. Is it most cider hands down? Because that's I, I can't see how it cannot be. I would call for, as I like to joke, a congressional investigation if he doesn't win the win the award. But uh, Kevin, rookie of the year, or is it still an open competition? Is Mo got well, not to. Not to me, it isn't. Uh, you know, defense is the hardest uh, position to master, and uh, you know he's already their, you know, the the best defenseman on the team, and uh, you know he's one of the best uh, European defensemen in the league, and he's you know 20 years old. So I don't know how he cannot be the favorite, but you know you hear a lot of writers saying that it's still a race. So we'll have to see. Bob, uh, my Canadian friend. Uh... What are these Canadian writers going to do? Is it is it Bunting there in Toronto, or do you think it's Mo? Well, Toronto's certainly doing everything they can to make the case for Michael Bunting, but you know, some of these people on social media, when they start saying, you know, criticizing Mo Sider, you just want to reach through and slap them. You wish you there should be a slap function on Twitter that you can just give someone a smack when they're just being stupid, but. Uh, the problem with a defenseman is you really got to see him to really right. realize how good he is, like how dominant he is. Like to me, you know, this is Ray Bork, Dennis Potvin territory as far as rookies go. Like, how often over the years we've watched hockey have we seen a rookie defenseman come in and be the team's number one scoring defenseman, number one in minutes, number one in every stat you want to think about? And, you know, you're talking about the Nick Lidstroms and the Ray Borks and the Dennis Pot fans. Those are the ones who made that category. It doesn't happen very often. So this is, it's like a unicorn, really. You know, they, they say they exist, but they very rarely appear. But we're seeing one this year. And if he doesn't get the Calder, it's, it's a crime against humanity as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, I, I was on the, uh, on the iPod or whatever you call it, like in a spin. And lo and behold, uh, the unicorn song came on by the Irish Rovers. I haven't heard, I haven't heard that thing in like a, forever, decades. But uh, yeah, I was singing along. You know, once it gets in your head, you can't. Uh, 
it, it never leaves. Now, I'm going to ask both of you to put on your soothsayer hats, and I promise this is it, and we'll, we'll wrap this up because I know both of you are busy uh, and doing a great job on Detroit Hockey now. If you don't subscribe, you should. Uh, and, and they do have a, a, a release a lot of free content as well. So it's, uh, And these are two of the, uh, the best hockey writers you're ever going to find, in uh, Kevin Allen and Bob Duff, not ho just reporters in general. I mean, journalists, uh, authors, I mean, these two are, are right at the, uh, the top of the food chain. Um, I'm going to ask you, in free agency, what do you think Steve's going to target? And this year's draft, even though I know he loves his defenseman, that he being Steve, they have to try to get a scoring forward with their first-round pick, wherever that may lie. Agree, disagree, what do you guys think? Uh, Kevin, go ahead. I, I completely agree about the forward. Like, you know, he's hit home runs uh, with uh, Edmondson and obviously Mo Sider. He did take Lucas Raymond. But if you look at their prospect list, they have more – a quality defenseman than they have forwards. So I think they've got to get some guys that can put the, the puck in the net. And I expect to uh, Steve to try to be active. Like I really thought that Hampus Lindholm might be a guy that he might be interested in if he's unsigned and he's an unrestricted free agent. I mean, he's got Edvinson come. Lindholm is a really good defenseman, does everything well. And uh, I just think uh, given the tradition of uh, – Swedes in Detroit, it would be a good fit. So I think he will. I think he's going to go out either by trade or by free agent and get a very dependable, safe second pairing defenseman. Bob? Hello, Bob. I think Bob might have. Uh might have dropped out. Oh, well. But, yeah, uh, uh, let me ask you, Kevin, do you think that maybe another thing he might target in free agency if he could is a legitimate second-line center? Well, I, <clears throat> I think so. I mean, I, I think uh, I think they've decided that, um, as I mentioned before, Pia Suter, even though he's, uh, you know, a good, good hockey player, I think they want a bigger uh, presence there. And it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, it's not going to be Michael Rasmussen and uh, – I, it's, it's not thus far doesn't seem like Joe Milano is going to be that guy either um, so they will have to go out and uh, try to get someone there's going to be some interesting players available in the trade market JT Miller um, I think he would be a great fit in Detroit I think uh, he's a guy that you know maybe they could uh, look at and um, you know we'll, we'll have to see who else is available but I, I do think uh, uh, they'll look at that as well Bob, we'll give you the final word. Uh, what do you think will happen on uh, with the uh, uh, will Steve uh, target uh, a uh, defense or a, a forward in the draft with their number one pick? And do you believe that they will also uh, uh, perhaps uh, what will he do in the free agent market this coming summer? I don't know. If you, can you hear me, Art? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. All right. I couldn't hear you guys for a bit there. I think I made a loss. Yeah. So could you repeat that one more time? I lost a bit of it. Okay, sure. Bob, do you think that, uh, you know, I'm asking you to be a bit of a soothsayer here. Do you think that uh, uh, Steve will uh, uh, will draft? I know he loves defensemen, as I said earlier, but you think he'll try to get a forward with that first-round pick, wherever it is, hopefully a scoring forward? And what do you think he'll target in free agency this summer? Well, I think a big issue for them is going to be size. You look at a lot of the nights where they don't, compete and i think it's just a matter of uh it's not will it's the fact they don't have the physical ability to compete they're they've got all, all their skill guys really are smaller guys they don't have a lot of you know those like i was saying earlier those six foot two 200 pounders and uh, you know really other than elmer soderbloom they don't have a lot of size coming at forward either in their prospect pool so i think that's something at the draft table and certainly in free agency that i think they they have to address. They have to get bigger and more physical and just, you know, be able to compete physically with the, the teams that play. You know, the teams they say are hard to play against are really hard to play against if you're the Red Wings. If you look at the numbers this year, when they've played against the Calgarys and the Nashvilles and those types of teams, it's not been pretty. No, it hasn't been. We'll see uh, exactly what happens. All right, Kevin Allen and Bob Duff. From Detroit Hockey Now, and uh, obviously uh, uh, two of the finest uh, hockey journalists, as I said earlier. For thanks for joining us on uh, 
uh, on the Red and White Authority. Uh, let's talk quickly. Detroit Hockey Now, I mean, people can subscribe, and you guys are always posting, whether it be on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but uh, why don't you tell uh, the fans that are interested how they uh, can be part of Detroit Hockey Now? Well, you can just uh, simply go to DetroitHockeyNow.com, and, uh, you know, as uh, Art alluded, we have a lot of free uh, copy available to you as well, but we also have a subscription uh, as well, and, uh, you know, we stay on top of it. There's three of us now that are covering the rings on a full-time basis, or two full-time, one part-time uh, guy, and, uh, you know, we, we go to the games, we interview the people that uh, are made available to us, and... Uh, um, we do our own reporting as well. So, um, you know, I think uh, we're kind of a new site, but, you know, there are people there, obviously, that, uh, you know, from uh, from the work we've done, from Bob's case, the Windsor Star and mine at USA Today. So uh, we've been around a while. Well, you have been around a while. You do a great job, and you're both really plugged into the league. It's always uh, great just to talk to you, just to catch up. But, again, thank you for joining us on the Red and White Authority. Really appreciate it. Kevin Allen and Bob Duff of Detroit Hockey Now. Thank you.